Hi, I'm John. And I'm Paul. And this is the Minute Podcast. If you give a mouse a cookie, I'm pretty sure he'd write a book. But give us 60 seconds of footage, we'll still tell you where to look. With a concept this simplistic, I can't believe we brought it back. But give us just a minute, and we'll give you season two of the podcast. The Minute Podcast. Well, thanks for joining us for another episode. As you probably know by now, the Minute Podcast is a weekly or bi-weekly, depending on how we're feeling, conversation between John and myself, where we review a listener-submitted minute of content. John, what exactly are we looking at today? Today we're discussing a six, uh, Minute 6 of Under Siege 2, Dark Territory, submitted by MinuteBot. Say hi, MinuteBot. Oh, hi, I'm Minute. I'm Minute. Hi. Oh, we're both doing MinuteBot. Uh, no, 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 no. Paul, MinuteBot just has m- many voices. He is a, his, he is Legion. <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> so Minutebot <laughs> is basically uh uh a computer algorithm that uh Becky was kind enough to provide us with, right Paul? Yeah, basically what it does is it pings the minute uh, not the minute, geez, the movie database's API to pull a random minute of content, so we're really maximizing the randomness of this podcast. Yeah, and then it also chooses a minute correct yep chooses a film and then a minute so we're bringing you this you know more variety in types of episodes your submissions our submissions some robot that my girlfriend my fiance made excuse me it's all good (laughs) all right it sounds good let's dive into this paul let's do but first i should let you know that this episode is brought to you by quippy the only electric toothbrush that delivers sarcastic one-liners to motivate better brushing (laughs) hey you're not brushing too hard it's supposed to hurt sure 30 seconds is long enough I see you've reached for the Listerine this morning. Don't worry. That's just as good as brushing. Visit quippy.com slash one minute for a 10% discount on your first order of Quippy today. You know, I think I gotta I gotta get me one of them. Keep me in line. It might work. Yeah. All right. So uh, what about our level of familiarity with this movie, Paul? Uh, I have no... I mean, I can't say that I haven't seen this movie, but it's... You know, here's a spoiler. It's a Steven Seagal movie. <laughs> Uh, so I can't say that I haven't seen it, but at the same time, I'm fairly certain I haven't seen this movie, but I've seen a number of Steven Seagal movies, so maybe one of them was this one. If you've seen one, you've pretty much seen them all. I think at some point I saw Under Siege 1 on, what's, what's that network that was always shown? TNT, absolutely. Why not? So I probably saw the first one, but... As as you said, who's to say? And it really doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. It does. None of this is like this isn't our favorite movie. We're not about to have a spinoff, Under Siege Two, uh, Dark Territory. <laughs> I forgot the title of it. <laughs> Five seconds that we were recording. Uh, you know, we're not gonna have a spinoff podcast about it. You know, this is this is uh, this is a movie we are unfamiliar with, regardless of if we've seen it before. <laughs> Definitely true. Well, here's a quick 15-second introduction to the scene. We see Steven Seagal pull up in an alley in some sort of unmarked black car. He then walks through a restaurant with his chef friend, and he seems to be very popular there. And that's all we see. Mm-hmm. All right, Paul, so let's do a script read. Uh, who do you want to be in this scene? Well, we've got two main characters, the chef and Steven. I think I would like to be Steven and also do the background noises and rando stuff if you want to be the chef. Sure, I'll be the chef. Sounds okay. good. All right. Oh, stretch out the neck muscles there. there the chef muscles. Chef muscles, yes, the chef muscles. Let's go, let's go. You're running late. 
Okay. Where the hell have you been? It's me, Steven. Have you been on some kind of special op or something? Lieutenant, always a pleasure. I know, I know. You can't tell me. Sorry to hear about your brother, Casey. Yeah, me too. Hey, the family? Oh, yeah, thank you. We're gonna go, uh, we're gonna have to hurry if we're gonna make the train. It leaves in 45 minutes. How come the two of you are taking a train to California anyway? Would you fly if your parents just died in a plane crash? Hi, Casey. Welcome back, Casey. What's up, Casey? Things are a whole lot better when you're around, Casey. I mean, I can run it. Yeah, you can run it, but you can't. And see. That was supposed to be the screech of a car pulling up, and I think <laughs> I, I may have messed it up just You slowly. overshot it a little bit. I think you overshot to, like, a creepy house. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. But anyway, I, I like the scene a lot, John, because as we actually mentioned before we started recording, there's no karate involved, there's no fighting, it's just a very boring scene involving Steven Seagal. Yeah, well, mostly involving the chef guy. Who, it's true. Who is somebody related to him, but not, like, a member of his family, I, I take it. Uh, like I think that's somebody, true. It's a close friend. It's interesting how little dialogue we actually get from Steven Seagal in this scene. I wonder if he was being paid by the word for this film. You know, yeah, w- yeah, was no, he that's always possible. So te- or was- just like you know, making that sound that he makes when he talks uh, might be stressful on his vocal cords or something. That is possible. Or maybe yeah. he's trying to play the strong, silent type, Paul. It could be what it is. Maybe he's just really bad at acting. John, <laughs> the kitchen that we see at the end of this clip seems really, really big for the size of the restaurant that they walk through. Do you agree? Uh, yes. However, I can't imagine this being a much bigger restaurant than we than we actually see. Like, uh, I could see the there being like uh, the kitchen in the center. Like, say, let's say the entire footprint's a square. The kitchen is in like I don't know the lower left hand corner of it taking up a trunk, but there's, like, the part that we walk through, but then there's another L shape that goes around the kitchen on the other side. So... Yes, that's true. So we don't I really see, see this being a larger shot. thing. And they are in New York City, so it's either an insanely large area for <laughs> for it being in the middle of New York City, or it's a very small area with an incredibly large kitchen. One of those two things. It does raise some questions, though. The fact that they're in New York, that this does not seem at all like well john i guess we should say how do we know they're in new york oh we see we see a little establishing shop i'm pretty sure Just it's new york very is briefly that, is that new york i don't know from skylines john so i'm defaulting to you entirely it's true on they that. do show a clock which makes me now think they're in like philadelphia or something i don't know like why wouldn't you just show the uh i was about to say the eiffel tower paul which would be a very different location than new york city why wouldn't they show the empire state building the more you're you're talking, John, the less I think they're actually in New York. Yeah, now now I'm thinking they're in like Philly or Pittsburgh or something like that. It can't okay, well, be they're, anywhere they're further somewhere. south than that, though. Like it has to that, be. That's certainly true. It has to be New York, Pennsylvania. Those are the two options. Period. He right. was not speaking. His 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 uh, colloquial chef friend was not speaking in a Boston accent, which makes me think it's really not Boston. So. Well, and from the quality of the film, you know they would have leaned into it if it was in Boston. John, this restaurant itself seems kind of weird to me, though. It kind of looks like the sun porch area of an Applebee's that you might have sat in in the (laughs) mid-90s. You know what I mean? Uh, Yeah, uh, I can see that. Uh, 
frankly, like the the restaurant was so uninteresting, I barely noticed that they were even in a restaurant for a portion of it. Like I knew he was a chef. I just figured they were walking into a hotel for some reason. <laughs> Like, uh, I didn't realize that there were, I mean, don't get me wrong, I realized eventually after my second viewing that they were in a restaurant, but it did feel like a hotel, which makes me think that they might have just shot on a hotel restaurant or something. I'm sure they did. John, I think we're supposed to interpret that Steven Seagal owns this restaurant, right? And that his friend, the chef, is running it for him? Yes, or he's the uh, enforcer that the chef relies on to keep all the wait staff straight, I guess, would be another way to read that. But I don't think that that's how it is. I think he owns the restaurant. Maybe it's a family business. Now uh, Now that his parents are dead, he's inherited the family restaurant. You think his parents are dead? I'm pretty sure that it's the person that he's escorting whose parents are dead oh is that what it is well maybe he inherited them because they're so grateful that he killed their murderer and got revenge gents on them it is a question of how he came to own this restaurant i guess we can save that for our theories a little bit it is worth millions of dollars like (laughs) like regardless of which city it's in this restaurant would be worth millions of dollars uh it's very fancy but in Is like it no, but not in like a fine dining establishment sort of way. But in like it's fancy. It's not like a dive, you know, a dive uh, in the middle of like a hole in the wall underground or something like that. It's a first floor in a huge footprint. Like that would be millions of dollars. I'm fairly certain. That's probably true. John, why does everybody in this restaurant, both the kitchen staff and the diners, love Casey so much? Uh, because he's so charismatic. He is. I mean, the way he says, the family. <laughs> yep. And, uh, yeah, would you fly if your parents just died in a plane crash? That I mean, that's the sort of emotional, you know, resonance that we expect from uh, Casey. You know, really the plays character. with the people. Yeah, exactly. He understands other perspectives, Paul. Well, that's true. John, the last sentence in this clip is, yeah, you can run it, but you can't. And we don't get to hear the end. I'm wondering, what do you think it is that the chef can't do? Uh bicycle backwards Ooh, could be mm-hmm. uh, what do you think it is paul i i think he might have just been following it up with but you can't run because the chef's kind of a heavy guy he's like a real dig at his friend <laughs> Man, for some reason casey goes from being very understanding to being kind of a douche in <laughs> three seconds i think so he's not a great guy no apparently not uh what a twist <laughs> <laughs> well John, Am I Shamanon directed this movie? I can't imagine. Basically. Yeah. Man, well, th- there's not a lot of content we could actually talk through here. I think there's rich territory for um, theories, but is there anything else from the clip we should talk about? If not, I have one sort of related thing. Uh no, I think that's it. Like, uh we get we we have very overeager young uh uh chefs in the kitchen, and that's pretty funny. But other than that, pointing that out i guess i have no other jokes (laughs) yeah i kind of wanted just to touch on how wild steven seagal is at this point in his life like do you know about all the stuff he has going on no i have no no idea paul well he's not acting anymore really but he's a semi-professional bluegrass musician who almost exclusively plays for european strongmen in government like eastern european okay um like he is he is close in with russia wow okay i think i knew i think i knew the russian thing a little bit but it is sort of like confusing to me where bluegrass comes into play like 
I I have connections to bluegrass. Like like you know my family my family is you know bluegrass adjacent. Let's say, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I I really can't imagine <laughs> Steven Seagal being very good at bluegrass or having sort of the personality to get along with enough musicians to have a bluegrass band. When you're that strong, though, you don't have to get along with uh, anyone. Oh, I suppose that's true. I mean, that's why they all love Casey, despite the fact that he's a douche. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, they appreciate that strength, just like the Russians do. Well, yeah, it just makes sense that a man who's the strong would really love strongmen. That's absolutely. Yeah, kin likes kin, right? <laughs> I think so. I don't know if there's anything else funny about that, but he is just a wild guy, and he's probably actually terrible as a person. Oh, I'm fairly certain that it has been true for a very long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's just say the twist isn't that Casey's a douche. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John, let's talk about what the hell we think this movie is about. I mean, we could make some sort of generalized guesses based on the fact that all Steven Seagal movies have pretty much the same premise, but what do you think's actually going on here? Yeah. Uh, okay, so for me... I think that uh, he just got back from a secret mission that he can't talk about. Uh, he's a lieutenant in the military as some sort of special uh, special forces lieutenant or something. And uh, they basically, I think that he gets on this train to California, which is a ridiculous premise to begin with. Uh, but this train from supposedly a East Coast city to California and... It's going to take him forever to get there. But while he's bored, he just so happens to spoil the plot of some sort of bombing that's going to be taking place on the train or they're going to hijack the train and then use it to blow something up or ram into something. And I think that that is the next part here. I think that basically the subtitle Dark Territory means that they're going to go into an area in which the train doesn't have any particular like uh ability to communicate like maybe through a really long tunnel or something like that so they can't reach out and like you know call 911 or something like that and then the terrorists have to take over the train within that period of time and they do sort of and then Steven Seagal is left you know by himself you know uh you know you're not supposed to mention a better movie during another movie but like you know he's got to die hard his way through this train to get to the uh either the front of the train or the back of the train. I don't know which one, maybe the back to like get rid of the bomb or something like that, or maybe the front to gain control of the train. I'm not really sure which, but he's got to do one of those two things, maybe both and kick butt the entire way through. And we get to see a lot of like narrow train fights and maybe some fights on top of a train. That's what I think is going to happen. It sounds like a very plausible Steven Seagal movie, honestly. Yeah. How do you think he's, uh, this is going to happen, Paul? It's pretty similar what I'm thinking. I think Casey is a secret agent who, for the first Under Siege movie, had just retired and opened this restaurant, but was drawn into some adventure. And he's just gotten back from that one adventure, which was the first movie. Mm -hmm. And he wants to re-retire, but first he has to take the president's daughter, whose parents are dead, so I guess the ex-president's daughter, Mm -hmm. to California for some reason. Has an adventure on the way. The terrorists try to kill her, and he has to do slow, boring karate to keep her safe the whole time. (laughs) At the end... He does retire back to his restaurant where he's the chef. He's not a front of the house guy, I don't think. No. Uh, 
Actually, I don't know. I could see him wanting to be like a uh, like a Rat Pack sort of guy where he like goes up and he's like, hey, Johnny, hey, Mickey. And like, you know, points at all these guys that you don't know and you don't care about. But they're always like, hey, Casey, how you doing? Good to see you around, Casey. And that sort of stuff. Could be. But I mean, that's what a front of house guy is, right? He just points at people and says names and then. Yeah. Hands make him a sure pack they of get like something on the house every once in a while. I think so. John, can we recommend either of these movies, though? Sure. If you were ever going to watch a Steven Seagal movie, why not this one? <laughs> Are we three for three in the new season of recommending it if it's the sort of thing you might like? Paul, I'm fairly certain that like I've recommended 80% of the minutes that we've actually watched. So for me, it's not all that unusual. But for you, I think it might be unusual if you go if you go three for three. Well, I'm I'm not actually going to recommend this because I don't want Steven Seagal to get any residuals at this point. I'm pretty sure he is at best a Russian agent and not to be trusted. <laughs> All right. So we got uh, a pro-Russian agent from me, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, pro-Soviet spy John. Uh, and then we have anti-Soviet spy Paul. And so that's that's apparently where the line draws in this podcast is, uh, you know, our ties to Russia. I don't know why Soviet came into this. It's just way more fun to say Soviet spy than it is Russian spy. Russian spy sounds like too real. <laughs> That's true. Soviet's at least a little bit removed. Yeah, exactly. All right. Anything else we should cover in this episode? No, I think we're all good. It was a, it was a weird minute. I am glad that the first Steven Seagal minute that we watched had absolutely nothing to do with karate. <laughs> and was the Definitely most mundane true. thing possible. Which I imagine is like 90% of the movies. It's just that your brain expands the action parts to fill in the rest of it. All right. Well, special thank you to MinuteBot for providing this submission, by which, of course, I mean... Becky, if you want to support the podcast yourself, you can always review us on iTunes or use the contact form on our website to submit your own minute. You can also add us on the various social media platforms at MinutePod, email us at theminutepodcast at gmail.com, or just, you know, find us in real life. This episode was hosted by Paul Rebrig and John Ward, produced by John Ward with theme music by me. Come back next week where we're going to ask you... Uh... Hey, the family? <laughs> holy crap you made it to the end we'll be back next week to do it all again until then be well and be sure to take a minute the minute podcast